welcome to the Every Woman podcast. I'm Anna, your host, and every month we'll be bringing you lively discussion and debate with inspiring women making a difference around the world, asking the questions you want the answers to, and doubtless prompting some more in the process. So listen in to hear the stories, insights, and opinions of those setting the pace and being the change. Today, we're talking to Lisa McCauley, MD of Donata Travel Europe, who, like all travel industry leaders, has spent the past year responding and trying to get ahead of the pandemic and all its ramifications. To say she's had to crisis manage is perhaps an understatement, and we'll be talking to her today about how she's coped in this tumultuous year and what this kind of challenge requires in terms of leadership and vision. So welcome, Lisa. Hi. Thank you for having me. Hi. (laughs) Well, thank you for coming. So, I mean, obviously, the travel industry... Uh, you know, as an industry that deals with movement around the globe, is is one of the most high profile sectors that's being affected by the pandemic. Um, I mean, like retail, it's taken sort of hit after hit in terms of lockdowns and restrictions. And I think it's fair to say it's a crisis for the industry. So how are you as a company dealing with this? And I mean, is the way that you're dealing with it similar to others across the travel industry? Yeah, the travel industry was one of the first to feel the impact of COVID-19, really. Back in January of of last year, as the issues in Asia were first reported, you might recall a number of cruise lines who would ordinarily be sailing around the region at that time of year. They were having to reroute their cruises. Again, back back in January of last year, we were still at the start of what would obviously ultimately become a pandemic. Like so many other companies, you know, within travel, we've had to reinvent ourselves and do as much as possible really, first and foremost, to to reduce our costs. So one of the things that we did was April of last year, I think we announced that we would merge a number of our brands. And that was done solely just to uh, keep our cost base as low as we possibly could. But unfortunately, you know, that meant we had to let a number of, of very, very good people go. We took decisions very early because we knew at that point we felt it was going to go on for some time so we knew we just couldn't make short-term decisions it was more about a longer-term approach. Mm. I mean it's interesting as you say right at the beginning maybe you disagree but I don't think many people saw it as a crisis as such it sort of evolved didn't it and and as it as it became clear that it was exponentially affecting people it was going to go on uh, for a much longer period of time than we thought I mean it's still going on who would have thought that a year later you know in terms of crisis management then for you has it been a case of sort of defining it as a crisis and then rolling with it and having to adapt everything new thing that happens or did you sort of set you know an idea in motion at the beginning of how you were going to deal with this? I don't think we set a set a motion as to how we were going to deal with it long term because the industry has never really gone through, or certainly in the 30 years I've been in the industry, you know, we've faced crises before, post 9-11, the, the dot-com era where we had a lot of, you know, the, the financial impact of that, the financial crisis, of course, the ash cloud. So as an industry, we are used to dealing with crisis. The challenges this with this one is it's that timeline. Yes, you're right. We have been in this situation now for 12 months, and I would say it's it's easy to say actually that crisis management has become business as usual. But there's a danger in that people just burn out when you constantly work at that level of intensity. 
So whilst we do continue to respond and react as we need to, the numbers that we're currently dealing with are nothing like they were back in March and April of last year when we went into the first lockdown. So the intensity of the crisis has definitely dipped. Now, what we've done is, you know, we have and we will continue to redeploy people around the business to ensure we've got enough coverage to deal with whatever area is under pressure at whatever time. I guess one positive I would say is that, you know, as a business, we found a new level of resilience that I never thought was possible because the crisis has been going on for so long. Again, I think it was April, May of last year, we looked at a handful of models, um, you know, scenario planning that we were doing. And certainly all the indicators were telling us that it would move from Asia and move east to west. So we knew that this wasn't something that was going to be over in a handful of weeks. Um, and we, we did feel at that point it was going to be over a period of months. I don't think we anticipated that it would go over a period of years. But was that the point then when you realised that you were going to have to shift from a sort of a short-term adaptation to, to a much longer vision, a very very fundamental restructuring perhaps of some parts of the business? Yeah, and we did. We, we have, as I say, we restructured. So from a cost-saving point of view, reduction of cost was imperative. So we announced the merger of um, two of the, the brand's gold medal and travel to we announced that back in may of last year we started with that process and that was that was one restructure that was more on the the sales side and then operationally we have re-engineered processes our businesses and travel businesses in general are used to being able to take bookings at scale in short periods of time you know we are used to taking some of us hundreds of thousands of bookings on a daily basis. What no travel company was ever built for was to put their business into reverse and cancel and refund in hundreds of thousands. So it has been a case of evolving and re-engineering processes and technology. We have done things with operational processes that I never thought would have been possible. So, you know, it, it's interesting what they say never let a good crisis go to waste. So we have and will come out of this stronger because mm. of the situation that we found ourselves in. You know, obviously travel industry amongst many other industries and, and, and pretty much all of us really, we've been, um, you know, working into a headwind, but the headwind that the travel industry has been working into has, has largely been around uh, restrictions, which have been necessary in terms of travel and movement and, you know, possibly testing issues. I mean, do you think there needed to be fewer restrictions on travel to allow the industry to keep going or more testing or or both? I mean, how could the travel industry have been better supported by policy as well as adhering to pandemic limiting measures? Or was it just a no-win situation? Um, it's, a, it's a tough one there. I think in an ideal world, there would be globally adopted protocols that both businesses and consumers would understand. A little like when, do you remember when airport security changed post 9-11, when mm -hmm. we all had to start putting liquids in clear plastic bags? It was a change. And as strange as it was at first, we're now all used to that. And it always amazes me how quickly people comply to rules when it makes sense. Mm. That change was adopted across the world and bar a few anomalies, for example, at some air airports, you're made to remove your shoes versus other airports, you're not. People pretty much know the drill by now. 
Now, what I would say is nobody I know in the travel industry is denying the fact that public health matters more than absolutely anything right now. So adherence to restrictions is not a challenge for us in the industry. The challenge really is inconsistency. And what appears just to be knee-jerk reactions with some decisions being made by government without fully understanding the consequences of either the travelling public or the industry. There's a, the world just seems divided right now. There appears to be one camp that believes travel is re- responsible for the, the pandemic and uh, another camp that just don't buy into that. I'm just surprised that we're a year into the COVID crisis, yet we, as in the UK, really don't appear to have a clear plan, not just for the travel industry, such as testing pre or post-travel or the quarantine hotel protocols. Those are all still being debated. You know, as an example, will certificates need to be shown to travel? The list goes on. It's this uncertainty that causes everybody issues. And as I said, there just doesn't appear to be hard plans on anything such as that. You know, I'm trying not to be critical here because I appreciate the nature of this situation is still evolving. And there are so many other areas of our lives that are being impacted and still so much, you know, uncertainty I have a teenage daughter who should have just taken a mock GCSEs. We don't know what's happening with education right now. So Mm -hmm. we have to put everything into context. But it is just frustrating that travel industry doesn't have a voice in government like other industries do. So sometimes it's hard not to feel like we've been the forgotten industry. It's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, when you, I've got, you know, I was doing a little bit of research and it's, you know, globally, the, the travel industry contributes $9.25 trillion to the world economy and supports nearly 10% of the world's jobs. And that's a global issue. In the UK, travel is massively important. I mean, in terms of being forgotten uh, or possibly not having that kind of consistency, as you say, making allowances for the fact that no one has encountered this kind of situation before, it, it still is quite surprising. Um, in terms of crisis management, then, if you are re- constantly having to react, how does that affect how you operate in terms of uh, you know, making decisions and, and feeling that you can plan uh, contingency? I think you, you just have to scenario plan um, and cover all bases, really. But, it, but it's hard to do because you know, their decisions are are being made with a knee-jerk reaction. We, again, myself and others in the industry have been, you know, quite vocal about the fact that decisions and some procedures are announced on Twitter, as an example, when, you know, when con- countries were coming on and off the corridors, um, we were finding out that information at five o'clock on a Thursday via Twitter, like everybody else was in the world. So, you know, that's not the right communication strategy. So you you just have to scenario plan and work with the information that you've got at that moment in time. But appreciate that a decision that you make on Thursday may be well be invalid on the Friday, literally within 24 hours. And that can be quite exhausting. But if you don't do it, you may get caught out. So. For me, it's all about planning for every eventuality, and then hopefully you've you've covered all your bases. You've covered for everything. I mean, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. is a that is an exhausting thing to have to do. Yeah, I mean, on a personal level, as a, as a leader, you know, how do you approach uh, crisis management? You know, what's your view on the best way to deal with adverse conditions? Um, and indeed, actually, when do adverse conditions become a crisis for you? 
Me personally, I, I, I've always been quite a pragmatic character. Um, I don't get spooked easily, which I think gives my team a sense of that, you know, they're in safe hands and we're definitely in this together. For me, it's a case of let's look at what we're dealing with. One thing I would say is without suffering from paralysis by analysis, I have to call that out because, you know, organizations now have generally tend to have so much data, but you have to use a combination of data and gut instinct, I think, and experience. So we look at what we're dealing with and then let's review the consequences of any actions. And I genuinely think whether you're in adverse conditions or in crisis mode, it's that cool head on wise shoulders that will get you through. Mm. You, you mentioned leadership there, but you know, for me, strong leadership in any crisis is never just about one individual. It's about the team that forms part of that leadership group so that you can listen to other people's perspectives and experiences. It's not all down to one person, although ultimately it, it sits with me, it sits on my shoulders, but I just don't flap. Um, <laughs> and I think that is the is that unflappable um, persona I think gives the team the confidence that okay we can do this we'll get through this. Would you say that cool heads mean that adverse conditions don't become crisis crises? I guess absolutely um, because what one person views as a adverse condition, another person would view as a crisis. So now I'm not saying you should dismiss the criticality of a situation. But a coolness and a calmness in whatever scenario you're facing will always, in my opinion, deliver better results than that position of looking like a rabbit in headlights. Mm. It strikes me that it must be very important to frame things properly, because by framing things in a certain way, you create expectations, don't you? And if the ex- you know if you framed it as a crisis, the expectation is possibly that you have to, you know as you say, rabbit in the headlights, ah, but if it's adverse conditions, you can kind of find your way through that, can't you? You can tack your way, tack your boat through that. Yeah. And it's, it's small steps and break everything down into bite-sized pieces. So, and I mentioned earlier, crisis has almost become BAU for us. So there was an announcement last week that had significant impact on the corridor was closed from Dubai and all direct flights were ceasing the announcement was made, I think it was four o'clock on the Thursday, and then that it was coming into effect from one o'clock the following day. That's That has huge ramifications for us. I was picked up the phone, my ops director and I talked it through, and there we go, we have a plan of action in place. Now, that scale of disruption, I genuinely think pre-COVID crisis would have probably unnerved us a little bit more than what it did now. But that's because it's almost the more things are thrown at you, the better you become at dealing with them. So I actually... I actually think in some ways crisis helps you grow as a leader because the more (laughs) scenarios you put in, I certainly just, uh, I just get to the point of thinking, okay, what's next? Yeah, (laughs) Um, absolutely. (laughs) It it just makes it, as I say, you just get used to operating. The only thing, as I called out earlier, I think you just have to be mindful of is that, you know, sometimes you can just survive on adrenaline and you can, you have to be very, very mindful of not burning out because it's not natural for everybody to work in crisis mode on a 24-7 basis for this length of time. No. I mean, it's interesting you say that, you know, BAU has become, you know, uh, is crisis now, but 
it must be crisis at a different level because like you say you can't you can't be in that total fight or flight all the time um I mean, what will you do when it when when this all passes? I mean, you'll be so relaxed, you won't know what to what to do with yourself. <laughs> I'm not sure I can tell you what I'm going to do because uh, I'm not sure it, it would be repeatable. Um, yeah. Have a very I'm, large drink, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah more than one as well. Yeah, um, yeah. I think we we are still that there, there is genuinely more of a balance now within the business. So last March, when the first lockdown um, was announced and we had a huge number of people overseas and we had to go through a significant repatriation program to get people back, that for me was probably one of the most difficult times. And then you then moved into a period where we knew we were going to have to do something, as I said, to address the cost base. So by consolidating and merging the brands, so then you run through, you know, a, quite a large scale redundancy program. Now that in a different way is a different type of crisis. And then you then move into different phases. I would say there's more of a balance now because certainly since the vaccine news, there has been more of an uptick on the sales side. So sales and marketing and the commercial side of the business, I can see, I'm not saying we're getting back to business as usual, certainly at the volumes that we would be ordinarily, but there's definitely more of a sense of normality in that part of the operation. So for me, it's making sure that we're addressing the crisis in those areas that we need to, because we still are dealing with uh, some challenges, but then actually just making sure that other areas of the business, which we need to focus on in order to be able to come out of this stronger, don't get overlooked. So sales, marketing, the product and commercial guys, that they've got a clear vision as well for, for the direction they need to take. In terms of the business then, I mean, you know, obviously we have the vaccine, uh, vaccines now, uh, you know, are you relying on future expectations of travel to sort of keep afloat? I mean, now that we have maybe a little bit more consumer confidence, we might not be able to know exactly when things will return to a, a vague normality, but we can, we can feel that they, they might do at some point. I mean, you know, can you, can you plan for that? Can, can you use those future expectations to, you know, bridge to the, bridge to a new BAU? Mm -hmm. I, it's interesting. I said last year, the back end of last year, I was talking to the team and delivered um, uh, uh, what we call a town hall to the team, where I said that hope isn't a strategy. So you have to take actions accordingly. And as I mentioned earlier in business, we always scenario plan. So you can understand what your worst case and your best case scenario is. And then at least you've got a plan. Whether you need to initiate it or not is another matter, but at least you've got something tangible to work to rather than just hoping that something's going to get much better. What I, I genuinely have seen and, and feel comfortable in saying is that despite all of this, whenever there has been an opportunity for people to travel, then the demand is absolutely there. Mm. So no matter at what point of the last 12 months, whether it be Portugal coming, you know, off the quarantine list so people can travel or the Indian Ocean or wherever, as soon as there has been that ability for people to, to go on holiday, we have seen quite a significant upturn in call volume, in visits to our website, etc. Mm -hmm. So that's the good thing. The demand's there. I think the best thing that could happen right now is that as well as the vaccine rollout running at the pace that it needs to, it's just 
for everybody to have more certainty about the policies and procedures linked to traveling, as I spoke about earlier, because I think that will address some of the challenges that we're facing with regards to consumer confidence. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, I want to just turn back, though, to just to travel as, a, as, a, as an industry itself. I mean, you talked earlier about, you know, the positives of, <laughs> if positives is the right word, of uh, this, this, you know, the crisis management this year, giving more resilience. But just in general, in the industry, do you think the pandemic will fundamentally change travel as we know it? And, and I mean, did it need to? Obviously, we have now experienced a global pandemic. Uh I hope it's the last one. It might not be. We might have to adapt again. So what kind of impact do you see that having? Everything I'm seeing leads to there being a reduction in the overall numbers of both leisure and business travellers for for a few years to come, I think, as well. If you think of how we've all managed to conduct business virtually this last year or so, along with that continued pressure for some organisations to keep their costs low. I think corporate travel will be particularly slow to return. If I flip to leisure travel, I'm sure that there'll be reduced capacity as airlines condense their services. So it all depends really on how quickly demand returns as to what that will do to price, to the price point. And and that will all be about supply and demand. Now, there is talk about the pandemic being the great reset. So we absolutely have the opportunity to build the travel industry back with sustainability being at the forefront of, of everybody's strategy. The challenge that with that, though, is that many, so many governments, destinations, travel businesses around the world, because they've taken such a, a financial hit in the pandemic, that I believe that they'll undoubtedly look to tourism to help support their economy. Mm. So that lends itself to an increase in number of visitors and potentially mass tourism, not niche. So, you know, we are still seeing, in all honesty, still seeing quite low levels of interest when it comes to green initiatives within within the industry. It, it's something I know we all believe in. And, and certainly, you know, any travel industry conference that you go to, you know, sustainability is absolutely on the agenda. But when it comes to the consumer, most businesses aren't seeing the same level of conscientiousness. But any forward-looking business should really be putting responsible tourism as a strategic pillar, I think, even if it might not yet yield immediate immediate benefits. Just to finish on that, I think the only thing I I'm really am certain of right now is that people want to and will always want to travel. And the longer we find ourselves cooped up and unable to travel or go on holiday, then the more pent-up demand grows. As I mentioned earlier, we've we've seen, I've got empirical evidence of that. So whether it's domestic holidays or Europe long haul cruise or whatever, you know, our inability right now to experience new and different things has really stifled most people to the core, myself included. (laughs) We all need a holiday. We do. And I think, you know, there's that great quote, isn't there, that travel is the only thing you buy that makes you richer. And and I fundamentally agree that, you know, we will come out of this. The, The industry, it will 
comeback, I don't think it will be an immediate bounce back to the levels that it was pre-COVID, but it definitely will still come back and still come back with a vengeance. But hopefully it comes back with sustainability higher up the agenda than, than what it was previously. Mm. Oh, that's a whole a whole other podcast of it sustainability. <laughs> you know, absolutely. Uh, such an interesting and, and, and important topic. So have you got any advice that you would give to travellers, wannabe travellers, of which most people are at the moment? Um, what would you say to them right now? I would say keep the faith. Um, we are seeing a lot of people look for inspiration and do their research at this point in time. So, and I think there has never been more engaging content, both often and online. If you look at the weekend papers, certainly over last weekend ideas on staycations. If you're looking at the UK, there's there's plenty out there to help people research because I think so many people just want to be inspired and want to have something to look forward to. In terms of actually looking forward into the future and looking uh, at booking, for me, it has always been a case of book with a reputable travel agent or tour operator. And particularly at, a, at times like this, you know, I think we've seen a period of, of the last few years where there has been a sway towards people trying to pull together their own packages and book something themselves. And that is great. I'm not criticizing that. When you are in a pandemic or crisis situation, it is when things tend to go wrong, that actually, if people have done a DIY style package, that that's when it becomes glaringly obvious that they need the help of, a, of an industry expert. So I would always extol the virtues of booking with um, an experienced travel agent, reputable travel agent, tour operator. You may think that you can save yourself a little bit of money by DIY packaging, but it's only at the point of something maybe not going so well and something going wrong with that DIY package, but do you then miss the value of having somebody that you can pick up the phone to and say, right, okay, you're in their hands because they are the experts and they're handling this for you. So that would be my advice. I mean, it's interesting actually, because, you know, it strikes me that the advice uh, that that would be good for all of us in, when we're in any kind of crisis is to also know, uh, that this too will pass, which is essentially what travellers have to have faith in, what the industry has to have faith in. Like you say, you have to have a plan, don't you? But, <laughs> but yeah. how should you look at this? What is, the, what is the key thing to remember in you know when you're literally in the storm of adverse conditions as we are now? I think from a consumer's perspective, people have been exploring what's on their doorstep just as a sense of being able to get out and because i think you know travel for me has had a positive impact on people's mental health so you know i know plenty of people who've been exploring what's on their doorstep because you know it's the first time really they've been forced to explore what's on their doorstep because they haven't been able to travel further afield now, you know, I've stopped looking at all of the negative um, news on, be it on social media. It's it's hard to ignore it completely, but I've started to focus on, you know, the increase in vaccinations that we're now seeing. And there is absolutely that feeling of light is at the end of the tunnel. So we as a business are seeing 
um, most of the our bookings now that we're taking are for um, the back end of this year, for so for December, November, mm-hmm. and then January 2022 onwards. We even have people booking into 2023. I'm not that organised by any means, but <laughs> um, so I do think there will be some travel this summer. But certainly right now, if people are wanting to book something, then quarter four appears to be where there is much more confidence. But there's some brilliant prices out there at the moment. And I think as a consumer, that's where you will see the benefit because there will be this reignite and restart of the industry. So there's some fantastic prices out there there at this moment in time. So you can book now for future travel. So it's all about inspiring future travel. Mm-hmm. From a from a personal point of view, you know, how do I cope? <laughs> uh, for me, it's all about just giving myself some some space to think. You know, I think when you when you're in crisis mode, it's really easy to get absorbed into the minutia. But it really is critical that you keep an eye on the bigger picture, so you don't make those short-term decisions that might fix one part of a crisis but have a negative knock-on consequence somewhere else in the business. So at the start of this, back in January, February last year, when we first started seeing those challenges said in Asia, ordinarily I would be commuting to the office and it would take me a couple of hours to commute in the morning. So I used that, what would have been a two-hour commute, to go out walking for two hours. Now, I'm really fortunate because I live on the edge of the Peak District. So just to step outside, to get some headspace, some time to think in all weathers, it just really, really helped me. It helps put everything into perspective for me. And I do think, as I say, that when you're in a crisis, you can just become so tunneled vision that you can't see the wood from the trees. So I actually went through walking through the woods and did see the trees. <laughs> and if that isn't a great, if that isn't a great metaphor for <laughs> crisis management, I don't know what is. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's been great to talk to you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. 